podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at penfed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Welcome to the Five Year Plan Podcast. Pod number 299. That's nearly 300. Ah, yes, and have we got plans for you? Have. Have we? I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea. I'm Kevin Day, and I'm joined by James Endicott. Hello. Hello, Kevin. How are you? And by Jesse Boyce. Hi, Kevin. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. And the reason I'm hosting today is because our dear friend James Daly became a daddy. Congrats, James. Congratulations to JD and and to Miranda, of course. And welcome to the world, Maria. Well done, Maria. I think it's safe to say we're all very, very proud podfathers. We are very (laughs) proud proud podfathers. Yeah, Yeah. slightly confused by the fact that she's already three days old and apparently he can't leave the house. I know, very odd. Isn't it just his new Mm. parents? He did send me uh, a, a picture of the newborn about three hours after she'd been born, saying, this is a picture of uh, uh, Maria, and she already hates Dougie Friedman. Yeah. Which I thought was quite funny. <laughs> yeah, Cheers, Maria. Yeah. Also, I don't think he was too pleased when I said, you're so woke, you need to confirm whether Maria's a boy or a girl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but obviously, it's, it's wonderful news, and... and to be fair, if that doesn't get us a five-star rating... Yeah, I don't know what will. What will get us a five-star rating? This is, I, I couldn't think of any other way of begging for five-star ratings like JD does. I'm not proud of having to do it. Um, but you are doing it. Yes, because he's, he's told me that, please subscribe, give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes because it helps others to find it. Here's a few of the latest reviews, says JD, mm. who's apparently got time enough on his hands to do me a four-page document. <laughs> 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 not to pop out and just do the pod himself. I know. Which would Lazy. be much quicker. So anyway, Russell Collins says, it's not just Palace, it's a brilliant long-standing pod on all things Crystal Palace Football Club. Its inception was pre the current clamour for pods. It's insightful and honest. Recommended. J. Stephen F., five stars worth every penny. Oh, excellent. Nice one, J. Stephen F. So it's a slightly different podcast this week because there are only three of us and we've got a lot to fit in. So part one is going to be a chat about Sunday. <clears throat> part mm. two... Um, we have a, a chat about our sponsors article, the oh, Athletic, yeah. which is very interesting, which is mainly about uh, Andy Street would love it. It's mainly about expected goals and missed chances. Oh. Uh, expected part three, goals. your questions, and my word, we have a lot of questions. I bet we we have. Have to do, <laughs> we've had to do some sifting out of questions this week. Um, part four, we have a brilliant interview with Angel O'Dwyer, who is uh, one of the community development officers at the foundation, but was actually helped by the foundation when she was a youngster at school and struggling. So she's a brilliant success story and she's going to be reminding everybody why it's really important to take part in the marathon march or if you can't do that to sponsor those of us who are okay uh, or who had forgotten that they were taking part (laughs) (laughs) some training necessary and then uh, we'll do at the end we'll do a look ahead to norwich so before we talk about the game on sunday i have to make a slight confession which is Mm -hmm. that um i was out saturday night and i thought a good way of dealing with the hangover would be to get to the porsons a couple of hours before the game Thinking it was a twelve o'clock kickoff, oh. so I got there four hours before the game. Wow! So, so I, rather I, than just not drink for the first two hours, you carried on. What? That's literally the first time that's even occurred to me as an option. 
<laughs> I could have just done that, couldn't I? You could have just not had a drink until 12 o'clock. I could have had some of the... Oh, you could have gone around the corner strange. to a calf. Strange doing that in the pub, though, isn't no, it? No, they had food yeah. in the pub. It's like going to a cafe yeah, they and the, the, getting the, the wine. They had the barbecue in the pub. I could have just had some of that. Really? Yeah, but you can't... <sighs> yeah. I feel slightly ashamed of myself now. Don't worry. But to make matters worse, at half-time, we were still drinking when Palace scored. <laughs> so I thought... <laughs> As well, a lot of people were. I thought it'd be bad luck for me to go back in. So I watched the rest of it on the telly in the concourse. <laughs> so, so, so if anybody's wondering why a slightly swaying middle-aged man was standing in the middle of the concourse, that was me. Right. Okay. But so let's <laughs> but let's talk about. And I'm going to start with with two questions, as I think they sum up the opposing camps really from okay. football fans. And the first one is from Neil the Fish, who's the owner of the pod. And basically, he says, "Are Hodgson's tactics making the squad look worse than it is?" Mark Kitcat, on the other hand... Another friend of the pod. Another friend. Hello, he Mark. says, are Roy's tactics, and I think we already know where it's going because it's, <laughs> Hodgson has become Roy, are Roy's tactics covering up gaping holes in the squad, making it overachieved? So one wow. says one says Hodgson is, is making a bad squad worse, and one says he's improved a, a, a mediocre squad. I, I think for the first time on Sunday, I think, I, it felt to me there was a proper negative reaction to, to Hodgson after a game. There's always been a bit of impatience and frustration. People were very angry when I was but walking I, out. I thought for the first time there was a, a sense of people starting to turn against either Roy or the team, and it felt it really felt like a defeat, James, didn't it? It felt well. It yeah, it did feel like a defeat because I mean the first half was just nothing really. It was a nothing game. Nothing much happened in the first half. The second half, you know, we scored. It was a very fortunate deflection. It went in, and you know, to be fair, we had two or three more chances to to increase the lead and just didn't take them um, for, for various reasons which I'm sure we'll go into in depth you know we, we lost uh, the one player up front who was running around making a nuisance of himself are you went off and brought on Benteke who just basically didn't really, didn't do that uh, and it was in, it was inevitable with like 20 minutes to go and it said 70 minutes on the board I was thinking they, they are going to get another goal if we could get one we, we might win this 2-1 but they're definitely going to score and even when it gets to extra time you know, injury time, sorry. I just thought they were just, just, just... I don't know, it just seemed written in the stars that they were going to get one back, and they did. And it, I think because of that, it did feel like a loss. And because of that, I think the anger was maybe uh, a lot more exaggerated than perhaps it would have been if the whistle had gone 10 seconds earlier. Yeah. It would have gone away with three points. I don't think people would have been quite as angry. Well, I, I, I do think... I mean, and I was genuinely angry after this, but I think with with hindsight, it, it, you know, if if Benteke hadn't missed that chance, if Wardy hadn't had that brain freeze at the end, we would be. Mm. This would be a very much more positive, upbeat pod. Don't you think, Jesse? I'm just amazed that Ender's opened without the uttering the typical Palace in there somewhere. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I, I left been, that for you. I've been, I've been trying to find somebody. Somebody made you a very point about Ayu. It's, it's like basically Ayu comes off after 70 minutes in any game hmm. whatever the circumstances and to me that seems like a mistake basically because he was actually causing a lot of trouble yeah. he was running into spaces he was harassing the defenders he was making nuisance of himself and that's what you want for a, from a forward with limited ability as a forward let's be honest he's not going to get his 20 goals a season if you can get his 8 to 10 then that'll be a, a bonus but what he was doing was causing causing problems and a, a nuisance as soon as Benteke came on that all changed yeah I think that I think it's just amazing that we've had three home games where we've reduced the opposition to ten men, yep, and really like barely taken advantage of it. Well, two of those we've drawn, right? So we haven't lost. We're unbeaten at home. Let's be positive about that. Yeah, yeah. But we you know we've still got what two goals at home. Yeah. So one of them's a 
Wardy's shot going way off target. Yeah. But I think credit to Wardy. Uh, he's got more goals than Benteke in the last two years. <laughs> and uh, yeah, what I like about him is he shoots on sight. Yeah. Right? Wardy has not been in any way an attacking player, let's say. But you think I remember that goal he scored against Arsenal where he buried it in the bottom corner. Mm. He just opened up. He just hit it. Yeah. Like, and you, you can't shoot. You can't score if you don't shoot. And I like, True. that's where that goal came from. It just came from the intent yeah. shown by Wardy. Benteke, on the other hand, the well-documented chance that he had, he had five touches of that ball before he got a shot off, which made it a lot more difficult for him. The He seems to be bearing the brunt for this equaliser and him losing the ball or passing to Wilf badly. I, I watched that a few times. He took five touches of that ball in the yeah. centre circle. We all know that if that was Glenn Murray, yeah. he takes one touch to control it and he puts it in front of Wilf's feet yeah. and he's off. Yeah. Like That's the urgency that we need to see. And Wilf is an outlet and he needs to be treated as such. Mm. But Benteke's just... Just taking a labours all just, oh, yeah. labors well, all I, I, To be fair, I don't think he's the only one you could accuse of poor game management in the last five minutes. And that includes the manager as well, really, who, with all his experience, hmm. seems unable to you know, buy a little bit of time, bring another sub on, you know, get somebody to go down. Just, just give us that little wedge. Just get the ball back. Just do something. And, and the, the red card thing so far. So we had a question for Richard Foster, who basically said we should be asking refs not to send people off. <laughs> <laughs> It's, but it's Give so, another five. But it's so frustrating because <laughs> you think, come, what the circumstances are? Come on now, this, this is Wolves are a mediocre team. They're not as good as they were last season. No. They're distracted by Europe. We got a lucky goal ahead. They've got a player sent off, rightly so, because Wilf every six or seven minutes roused himself to do something, take somebody on and get and get a free kick or a, a yellow card. But we just seem incapable of, of capitalising on that set of circumstances it just seems we stay so passive and instead of just somebody, somebody saying oh Roy making a change on the captain going come on let's just step this up we can get another goal here two goals. and it's we just sit and wait for things to happen and they've got enough skillful players it, to be able to hurt us it it kind of reeks of inexperience which is I mean I've I've said on this pod especially this season and you know quite a bit of last season that you know we're finally looking like a team that belongs in this league and we've been yeah. in there for what six seven years now and it does take a long time to get used to it and be you know a solid team and it just we just reach inexperience from maybe that came from the management I don't know but it just I don't know why why that the last five minutes were just so frantic and so all over the place it just shouldn't have been like that well, especially with it should not have been like that. Again, a lot of people are talking about Cahill, and he's, he's captain in all but name. But you know, that back four must be 110 between them. <laughs> There's a lot of experience in that back four. Mm. But then I suppose you can't legislate. Yeah, what what can Roy Hodgson do about Wardy just deciding to get completely lost? Yeah. Well, I think only he can explain what he was mm. trying to do. But the cross shouldn't have come. It's like Benteke shouldn't have lost it. The cross shouldn't have come in. Yeah. There's a succession of things that are happening. PVA's um, sort of tent. He's, he's got that tendency to kind of lose concentration or lose the ball when he shouldn't or just um, back off, as, as he's done in this case. Um, I, I remember that guy, Traore. I looked it up. It's only his second start of the season. Yeah. And he, he's kind of, he's sub-material for Wolves. Yeah. Like, I know they've got Europa League uh, commitments, which means probably get players getting a bit more game time. Mm. But if I'm the Wolves manager, it's the sort of game where you throw him and go, he's got a chance against this left back because yeah. he's not all there. Yeah. And we kind of paid the price for that. I think it's no any Premier League manager with any sort of backroom staff is going to be told to target those fullbacks. Yeah. So for one to put it for one full for one winger to put it over to the other fullback, 
um, sort of sums up our inadequacy. Or it's, it's just the frustration that's felt amongst Palace fans, I think. Well, it's funny with Wardy, because for all... And I think we probably mentioned it on every pod, his his lack of pace yeah. for a top-class right-back, and especially compared to Wan-Bissaka. But Wardy probably gets forward far more than Wan-Bissaka, or certainly to more effect yeah. than Wan-Bissaka ever does. It's like Jesse said, he gets he gets to the edge of the box and he tries to make things happen. It's like his header against Man U. So I, I still, he's such a mystery. I still don't know whether he's a better player than we think he is or whether he's just a better going forward and can't defend. But I still... And obviously he was going to get the brunt of the blame yeah. on Sunday, but I still think it's really unfair to pick him out. He's got a bit of Carl Walker about him, hasn't he? Sort of, you know, yeah, at a yeah. lower league, at a lower Premier League level. In that he's just he's slightly dubious at the back, but really effective in that final third. Just shows the intent to make things happen. Yeah. We'll get on the end of things like the header against Man U. Um, even at Chelsea when we won that time, Wardy got on the score sheet. Remember that? Yeah. Like he's just got a tendency to pop up. Um, so he's got strengths, but he he just gets, seems to get exposed when it really matters. Yeah. Um, a bit like how Hennessy seems to garner that sort of reputation for when he makes a mistake, it goes against us. But it also absolutely comes back to the fundamental problem which we've talked about on every pod. Mm. There's no backup for Wardy. There can't, is no, no, we can, no. With Kelly injured, he can't not play. And if Ward gets injured, I don't know what's going to happen. And we there's no backup to Ayu or Benteke. That's the problem. So it's... We blame the players, but we should be blaming the system that has left us without replacements. Well, you're right, and I think, but you know, just going back to Jesse's point from earlier on, I think you know we must we must bear in mind that we haven't lost at home yet, that we have got you know that we're in the position we're in, we have scored, albeit a couple of times, you know, whatever, and you know it's. In retrospect, you know, looking from a distance, it's not that bad. It's not terrible. It's not terrible. But, and I just think things have got to move. Things have got to change. And they've got to change really quickly. We keep saying this, but, you know, we've got a game against, which will come on to a against Norwich, which, you know, that's a game we should be winning next week. Well, compared to, compared to the last two seasons, we're in Wonderland. Yeah. yeah. We're, <laughs> we're five points ahead of where we were sort of last season. Mm. We've won two games compared to one last yeah. season and none the season before but that's part of the frustration because you can see that there's something trying to emerge and when it doesn't happen against opposition that should be there mm. for the taking like you say James despite all the experience we've got I know yeah. despite the fact that we do have some flair in, in Wilf and on the bench but again you know, do you think these are ideal situations? To, why, you know, why isn't Camarasa and Mayer on the pitch at the end taking advantage? I mean, that was one thing of, I really, you know, really frustrated me, especially about the first half, because it was such the first half, it was just like these horns, horns were yeah. just locked and nothing was happening. It just needed somebody from either team with a little bit of imagination from the middle of the park. You got a little, the odd little run from Wilf, you know, every now and again, but if for him, it was like, you know, it was easy for him, you know. I mean, he wasn't. When I say it was easy, it was just that's what he does week in, week out. He'll turn it on every now and again. But we needed something from the middle to break that defence mm. and to sp- split it and to get put those balls in. And we just don't have anybody in the middle of the park who can do that. Well, we, we do. Cause, uh, well, they don't, uh, they don't play. Uh, that's the thing. Another question we had is... Uh, and my apologies, I've always, I'm always taking the mickey out of JD for not remembering the names of the questioners, <laughs> as when you've got so many. But there's a question that's basically said, will we ever see anyone other than Roy's favourite four... In midfield, essentially, because we do have the players. Yeah, everyone tells us that Camaras is one of the most creative midfield players going. Mayer came to us with a really, really good reputation. And yet, even in those circumstances, we're not seeing them. No, Camaras is not even getting on the bench. I know. Mayer's not getting on the pitch. So, 
is this another breakdown of communication between Roy and Dugie, or is he, uh, have we got players that he didn't particularly want, or does he is he simply so conservative, Jesse, that he will want to see a game out rather than risk all by trying to score a second goal? He's the last person that wants to be told what to do, isn't he, Roy? I mean, <laughs> if you tell him not to make a sub, tend to make a sub, you definitely yeah, won't make yeah, one. Yeah. Right? If the crowd sings something to that effect, Camarasa, um, to your point, he's got a goal in him, isn't he? Right, we've seen it at Cardiff. Yeah, yeah. he's got a couple of worldies in him last year, and. It's just going to be such a struggle for us to score more than a goal a game. Yeah. When we have done two at Old Trafford, you need you need your left back to do his um, his characteristic yeah. Yeah. charge in the last ten. Um, so you've seen players like Schlupp had a great chance on yeah. Saturday, didn't he? And he's not a natural centre midfielder or any anything. Cent- he's not anything central really before Roy in any club uh, Leicester or anything we've seen of him. England on 21s whatever he's always been something down the left some sort of wing back or winger um, so when he's faced with a chance in the middle he's not it's not instinctive for him to put that way mm-hmm. AU is not a he's he is pretty much championship level he's tra- okay, he tries hard he tries very hard but I mean name another Premier League club you could envisage signing him it's something like Sheffield United isn't it yeah. let's be honest right <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then Benteke is just slightly just a lost cause. He needs he needs a, a year out. He needs a gap year, I think. He needs to just, uh, <laughs> well, just pack up his backpack and see the world and come back we'll, we'll talk inspired. More, we'll talk more about strikers in detail <laughs> in a moment. But it's interesting that the big piece in two of the tabloids today with Hodgson saying, yeah, we've all put an arm around Benteke's shoulder. We all like it. But the, the, the one thing with Camarasa to end this part is we need somebody else to take corners and free kicks because yeah. <laughs> Lucas caught they're just so how tedious and just that same floated corner every single there's no imagination and we're just about the only team in the Premier League I think that shows no variety at all in taking free kicks corners it's the same corner every time and the most easily defended corner as well yeah. Townsend was taking some set pieces in the first couple of games Everton yes, and Villa he was take because I'm down by there so he takes those in swinging yeah. corners yeah. with his left foot, but obviously with him not starting, it seems like Luke has got the, the full responsibility yeah. for the set of pieces. So there's there's no alternative to Townsend. It seems when he's not playing, yeah. taking uh, corners at the, on that side. Um, yeah, I mean Lucas, he does get he's he's starting to get a little bit of a reputation for being uh, sort of untouchable, or because he's got he delivers when it comes to his free kicks more well now and again but his penalty is such an asset although we've not really had one this year I think we all thought with the introduction yeah, of yeah, VAR yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> we, we thought we, I think everyone's been betting on that that Luca 1-0 probably had a fair bit, a yeah. few bets on it in the Palace in, but um, I don't know about Luca. I, I, I do like him I do rate him but he's, he seems he's still um, he deep, just seems he, it just seems he hasn't really <laughs> woken up this season yeah, do you know what I mean I agree well, I think that's the, I think it's the whole team you know yes we have won a couple of games and we are in a better position than we have been for a few years but you know it is frustrating it's just frustrating just to, to not lose a game but to draw a game like that yeah. and it did really feel like a loss and even now like three or four days later I still count it as a loss yeah I, I, and I actually do I'm feeling quite fortunate we got a point out of that because it felt like we didn't which is oh, crazy. That's a pessimist. When, when Enders gets pessimistic, <laughs> that's terrible, isn't it? What a gloomy note to end that part yeah, on, but we, we must end it there. <laughs> Welcome back to part two of the Palace Podcast. Hey. The Palace Podcast. It's the FYP. It's rebranded. It's it's rebranded in it's five the, it's the Palace. We all know it's the Palace Podcast. With the unathletic. Yeah, with the... <laughs> Yes, we were expecting to have somebody from the Athletic with us today, but they're busy 
Being athletic. Being athletic, <laughs> yes, because... Um, this is pod number 299. We are in partnership with The Athletic this season. And yes, I am reading as we speak. You can tell. <laughs> this is my reading voice. The Athletic have launched in the UK and signed a world-class team of writers covering every club, including the best coverage of Crystal Palace. They are a subscription-based app and website. They are completely ad-free. <laughs> no ads, no annoying pop-ups, just brilliant articles. Welcome to the new home of football writing. I have to commend JD. It's harder to keep a straight face than I thought. Reading it out. <laughs> uh, visit theathletic.co.uk forward slash FYP to start a 30-day free trial and receive 50% of your yearly subscription, which is £2.50 a month. Um, I'm about to read out a little bit of uh, Matt Woosnam's article from today, which is very good. It's about our strikers. Before we do that, um, a shout-out to one of our Patreons... Oh, Chris Page. It's Chris Page. Oh, hi, Chris. Hi, Chris. Hi, Chris. I deliberately kept your shout out to the start of the second half, despite JD's orders, because (laughs) we had so much going on in the first half that I thought your (laughs) shout out would be overlooked, and I didn't want that happening to somebody who's a Patreon. So, basically, so Matt Wilson is writing um, in some detail about uh, Andy Street would love it because he goes into detail about expected goal ratios, etc. But he starts off with a. It's quite sad to read it, actually. Christian Benteke picked up a Jeffrey Schlupp pass, took a handful of touches, was presented with an excellent chance to soar, but could only shoot straight at Rui Patricio. If ever a player looked completely bereft of confidence, it's Benteke, and that's not just against Wolves on Sunday, but whenever he plays. His problems do not like going away at any time soon, but he's not the only culprit in missing good chances for Palace. Uh, there's a lot more of that, and it goes into a lot more detail, but basically there's a, a stat here. So far this season, we've seen Palace produce a big chance conversion rate of 20%. Last season, it was 3968 percent mm. Andy Street will be happy now. Thirty nine point what? The big chance point six eight. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure what a big chance is, but it's it's quite clear. Although, if if you read further on into Matt's excellent article, you you can you can interpret stats in a lot of ways, and in some ways, we're pretty much where we are this time of the season. But he makes comparisons to the other what he calls the ten teams around us, basically the teams that you would expect to be mid table. Yeah. And we come out of that comparison very badly in terms of chances created and chances taken. That's the, 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 the we, big problem. We, you can miss chances if you. Do you remember those games last season against Burnley? I think against whoever it was when we, we something like thirty-eight chances and we scored right, two goals. Yeah. That's fine. You could, if you get thirty-eight chances and missing a lot of them, that's fine. When you're only getting two or three chances, but we were create. I mean, we did create a few more chances than that, didn't we on Sunday? Both the Benteke one and the Schlupp one, the two outstanding ones, yeah. came didn't come from passages of play from us. Really, it came from breakdowns in midfield right. that the ball kind of the Benteke one. Normally, when Menteke gets the ball in front of the goal, you don't even bother standing up. <laughs> As it happens, I was standing up at the time, so it's fine. But he did the first bit so well. He, he, it was almost like Ayu's goal against Villa. He muscled the defender out. He turned him one way. He, he had the keeper almost going down. He, it was harder to miss that in the two, and he just felt... And even then, Palace fans are still trying to not vent their anger at him because we seem to realise it's not the right thing. I don't to know. Do, but but I, you know what, Kev? Around where I was, it was it used to be for half and half. It's not anymore. Really, there are there are more really? people against him now. I mean, I think that was. I wouldn't say that was the final straw, but it's just it was just people just like why 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 oh, are we oh, so patient? Yeah. This has been so long. We've given him two seasons, yeah. and we've put our arm. He's got so many arms around him. <laughs> He <laughs> <laughs> must be, you know, he's carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders. But it's just like, what is it, that? there comes a point, Kev, where you just go, no, this has got to stop. I, I did, it has to. When I asked for questions on Twitter today, I did 
say broadcastable ones, please. And most of the comments I had to say about Benteke were, aren't broadcastable. And it, but is it, Jesse, because we saw how potentially effective he was in that first season when he did score 17 goals for us? And now nothing. But I, also, I, I can't help thinking, how many times do we get crosses in for him? He was a, he's such a good header of the ball, but we don't play to his strengths, which is why I get so annoyed. So like you say, IU plays all right for 70 minutes, yeah. puts the effort in, closes down their back four, which makes it harder for their back four to step up and, and pass around our midfield yeah. like they did towards the end of the game. Yeah. But yet Benteke comes on, but we don't change anything else except bringing Benteke on. And expecting him to do the same job as Ayu does, and he can't do it. Well, you, you've hit the nail on the head. The seven, the seventeen goals season, he was on pens, so we've taken that off him. So that's five or six goals he, that he scored then that he's not scoring now. And I remember he was that year he was the highest scoring um, player in the Premier League with his head. I think he scored ten or eleven of those goals with right. his head, and he was getting a lot of service that year from mm. Andros, who's yep. now not even playing. Yep. Right, yeah, right, uh, and. Zaha's not even servicing him from the wing with crosses. So you've taken away the outlets that supplied those 10-headed goals and you've taken him off pens and we're left with a striker that barely scores one or two. It kind of is that simple. Um, it's yeah, just... but Jesse, even then, he's, not, he's, he's, he's there up front and he's, he's, not, he's not harassing. He's not harassing. He's not making nuisance of himself. He fell over in the penalty box. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I think, you know, I'm not saying I was a better player, but what I was doing on Sunday was just causing problems, you know, and I think what, you know, and as soon as he went off, we looked vulnerable. Mm. And it's, you know, the irony is you're taking off a forward and you look more vulnerable in defence because you're taking a forward yeah. off because as Kev was saying, it just... The, he drops deeper. Yeah, and and it's, it's just, and it all works, it's just, ah, so frustrating. And also, it, the fact is that I, and Benteke has never been that sort of player. He's never been that sort of Diego Costa player. No, 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 not at all. Although to be fair, the second goal against Man United came from him tackling... Pogba. That's true. That's but true. he's never been that visible chase. Like, but, and so we see Ayu chasing around like a puppy for 70 minutes. Then mm. Benteke comes on, clearly short of confidence, drops deep, as we say, to give, and then gives mm. air back for a bit of breathing space. And it, it's it, you just feel for him. And it's just. He did put that ball in for Schlupp. He created that chance as yeah. well. He put him in for that. Yeah. So give him credit for that. I think, just think about the goals he did score for us then in that 17 goal season. I remember Everton away. The header. 1 1. Yeah. Where, Andros put it on his head and yeah. he just buried it with an amazing header. Um, well, it wasn't even a powerful cross. He created all the power himself yeah. from the... And the direction the was yeah. just incredible. Yeah. And then, uh, I remember the first game we played at West Ham's Athletic Stadium when he... Uh, it was 1-1 it was one on, one on as well, wasn't yeah. it? He scored a header from an Andros right. cross then. Like Those kind of chances mm. just aren't happening. Yeah, it's true. But he, the irony is he gets in every Belgium squad... And that's arguably one of the best Belgian best squads in, mm. in international football. They're not even short of strikers, are well, they? Exactly. <laughs> and he, he comes on as well in games. So if, if they think he's good enough, how, mm. should we be saying, is it our fault that we're not getting the best out of him? Or He must have good playlists for the change room. <laughs> <laughs> well, everyone says he's a lovely fella, but it might I'm be. Sure I he's think, a lovely but the, fella. But I think, James, you're right. The prevailing mood does seem to be that it's he's, gone to, he, he's not coming back. It's this. definitely turned, Kev. It's yeah. definitely turned. You know, I'm. You know, I'm. I was in the Holmesdale on Sunday in Block B, and there was a lot of anger towards him. But I, from what Roy Hodgson's saying, he's going to start or not start. He'll definitely be part of the plans on on well, Saturday. The, the next game. Yeah. He's lost his starting place, hasn't he? Yeah. To, to yes. Aim, so. yeah. To be, and to be fair as well, I can't remember which of the ex-professional footballer pundits it was who said over the weekend, if if you're not starting in front of Jordan Ayew. 
than the other issues. You know, I mean, for a yeah, player, course, if yeah. you remember how big his reputation was and how much money we spent on him and how excited we were when we got him, he was a big time player and he yeah. was initially very effective, but something's gone so badly wrong. And you, you've got to think he's had some sort of professional help uh, outside of football just to try and get his head in the right place. Mm. It, it's been going on for so long. I would think that about the other 19 clubs in the Premier League. I, if he was at any other club, you'd almost guarantee he's getting professional help. But Palace, you just wonder. Seriously, you know, the positivity. You do. You just, you just wonder if there's yeah. any club in the Premier League that won't have somebody who's, who's helping well, out with the psychology. Well, it's a bit weird, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's a bit modern. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, we've we've seen to. I've said it a couple of times. I'm amazed that Hodgson entered uh, last season with him still in the squad, yeah. let alone another season. Like, Roy must have some sort of. Um, blind faith or something we don't know to mm. f- to enable him to to carry on giving him a, a squad a shirt because what's he getting in return? Yeah. It's just, there's not much uh, that he's getting back from taking such a huge risk. Yeah. Well, if you want to read more of that excellent article, get yourself down to theathletic.co.uk forward slash fyp and start your thirty day free trial, fifty percent off your yearly subscription. Don't forget. So that's the end of part two. We'll be back in part three with a brilliant interview from Angel O'Dwyer. Welcome back to part three of the FYP podcast. Pod number 299. Next week, pod 300, we have a very... Is Gerald Butler on? We've got a very special guest. We do have a very special guest. He's uh, part of the Palace team that... Don't tell everybody. No, I'm not going to tell them. But yeah, part of the Palestine that forged probably one of the most important results of our recent yeah. history. Yeah. Um, so looking forward to that. Now, part three, we have an interview from Angel from the Palace for Life Foundation, who hates me using the word inspirational about her, but she is a remarkable young woman uh, who had a tr- very troubled period in her life through which she was helped by the foundation. She's one of our very many success stories. And I went down to Sellers Park to chat to her about her past and chat to her about what she's doing now and chat to her about how she's going to beat Steve Parrish in the marathon march again. <laughs> I had no idea. It was a, I, did you know it was a race, Enders? No, I didn't realise it was no a race. I had no idea it was a race. No idea. But let's say she's quite disparaging about Steve Parrish. The phrase, all the gear, not much. <laughs> <laughs> but, but listen to this, and hopefully you understand. Also, Angel explains one of the projects that we are specifically raising money for on this year's marathon march. Yes, here I am with Angel O'Dwyer. Um, never unhappy to have an excuse to come to Sellers Park. Mm. And this morning, Angel is my excuse. Angel, tell us a little bit about your current role with the foundation. So I am now a full-time member of staff. Um, I am a community development officer, which means I work within secondary schools and colleges, um, delivering a series of targeted inf- intervention programs. To, uh, towards what sort of uh, kids are we talking about here? So they range between the ages of 11 up until some of them can be the ages of 21, 22 that I currently work with. But on the broader scheme of things, I do work with other students between the ages of five up until they could be also um, 25 and over, depending on what program it is. Um, most of them are quite vulnerable and hard to reach, those that are not in either education, employment or training, or those that are finding it hard, so need that little bit of push in for reintegration into education 
or just need that one-to-one mentoring within schools. And you go in there with the Palace badge on, with the Foundation badge on? Yes. And does that open doors for you, do you think? Does that make it easy to start conversations? Absolutely. I mean, um, most places you go to, when you meet someone, the first initial reaction you have from them when you mention something to do with football is a great reaction. If not, they can say that they've either heard of something, but it's always a foot in the door, so it's a great conversation starter. So going into schools and also colleges with the badge, everyone looks at you uh, and they, they're quite inspired by you because with the badge, it does hold quite a lot of weight, especially throughout South London being one, well, the biggest club in South London, uh, working within the local area and within the local community. A lot of the young people do look up to you because it's something that they aspire to do so yeah so you, we know what you do for the foundation but tell us how the foundation got involved with you initially how it, how it came into your life so when I was in my last year of secondary school unfortunately my eldest sister did pass away um, I was at risk of being permanently excluded from um, my secondary school so with that, my mentor um, at school, Mr. Buckley, turned around and said to me, look, Angel, what you're doing right now, um, we're not agreeing with it, and you're really at risk of pretty much jeopardising the rest of your life. Um, so here's a number, and he actually forced me to kind of call um, the number, which was for um, Susan Patterson-Smith, um, and it was to be on one of the employability programmes. At the time, it was called Barclay Premier League Works, um, also known as Premier League Works, now Premier League Inspires. So it has gone through a transition over the years also. So what um, I did there was, it was a run through the summer. It was a 15-week programme and I attended that. I got my um, emergency first aid, safeguarding, my level one um, football qualification. Um, And they also paid for my DBS for me, which allowed me to then go into schools and colleges and work not just within schools and colleges, but also um, doing outreach within the community um, in evening sessions. So when I was um, at a point where they actually supported me, me not just within the development of my education, but also with my men- like my mental state, because I, it was very hard going through a point where I didn't quite know who I was anymore, where I was going through um, the grieving process. I couldn't quite figure out where I was, who I was and what I was doing. So I was quite everywhere. Um, But with the support from the Palace for Life Foundation, I was able to kind of gather my thoughts and understand who I was as a person and progress more. So that was back in 2015. Four years later, um, I'm now a full-time member of staff. Within that transition, they encouraged me to go back to college to study. So I went back to college, um, got my BTEC level three extended diploma in sports and exercise alongside that I've done quite a few other um, things I've been abroad so I went Barcelona for work experience that was the first thing they sent me on for two weeks then they referred me on to another organization called the um, Street Football Association who works in partnership with Centrepoint so with um, Palace we do have kind of external um, partnerships with other um, organisations and Centrepoint is um, one of them that we at the time became quite close with due to the increase of homelessness that was happening um, back when I first got involved with them so with them I was able to travel to Portugal twice um, last year I was fortunate enough to go to Russia during the time um, a month before the World Cup wow. and go and kind of experience how Moscow was and the whole atmosphere and help by coaching out there for um, the ladies when we went to the Street um, Child United World Cup. 
Wow. And so all that came from one phone call, basically? Yeah, so all of this just from one phone call. And when, when Mr Buckley gave you the number, were you, did you do it because you thought, oh, I'll keep him quiet? Or did you, did you want to do it? Were you, were you resistant to the whole... I was very resistant to begin with. And it even took a point where um, I remember um, it was a post-it note that he wrote and it was like guidelines of how to answer the phone. He said, when you're speaking on the phone, you must always smile because people can always tell the attitude that you have even when you're speaking over the phone. And it was these little guidelines of how I should answer questions and what I should say. And it was really a battle to begin with. It was like, I don't want to do this. Why do I have to do this? I was very reluctant when I even picked up the phone. But it was probably one of the, well, it is the most helpful and most amazing thing that's probably happened to me. Uh, and, when, and when you actually started coming to the foundation, were you, again, were you, was your attitude negative with them or did they have to work hard with you? Well, I would say that I was quite difficult to begin with. So me, myself and Susan had this kind of back and forth argument of me always turning up late to sessions. So she was always calling me like, Angel, where are you? I'm like, I'm coming, I'm coming. <laughs> Two hours later, I'm still not there. She's calling my phone like, where are you? I'm like, oh, I'm just around the corner. Susan's like, it's lunchtime. You've missed half the day. I'm like, it's okay. I'll catch up. I'll catch up. So at the beginning, it was like, I didn't really want to go there. It was more like I'm spending my summer two days a week wasting it doing something that I don't necessarily want to do. But then I became to actually really enjoy it. And I wanted to be there. And I knew that people were there to support me. So I gave them the energy that they gave me, really. Because I just, I just thought, if there's someone that really does believe in me, you can see the, like, if someone's being genuine. And it was, it was actually genuine. What the reception that they was giving me, the effort they was putting in me, they actually did believe in me. It wasn't that they were forced to do that just because they get paid either way. It was because they actually genuinely believed in me. I, I've, I know Susan Pattinson-Smith quite well. I wouldn't not turn up for... <laughs> when she asked me to tell... If she tells me to be there at 10 o'clock, I'll be there at 10 o'clock. <laughs> so, so, um, it, it, so it's quite an inspiring story, the fact that you're now the one phoning people up to say, where are you, basically. Yeah. Do you think it's important that it's young people looking after young people because I mean it, it's fine I'm an, an old man now so I don't think it'd be necessarily that impressive if I turn up even if I squeeze myself into a palace tracksuit <laughs> but I, it seems to me that it, the more we can get younger people to help the younger people at Croydon the easier it's going to be because they will relate to you they'll recognise you they'll understand the way you're talking to them in a way that they wouldn't if I was doing it absolutely I think with young people and I can say this speaking first hand um they can see through a person from even the first, say, 10 seconds of you speaking. They can read you. They can understand kind of where you come from. If what you're saying is actually how, you're, how you do genuinely speak, if, they, if you're, you believe what you're saying yourself. So I do um, believe that it is very important that um, young people do work with young people such as myself. When I go into schools, colleges, or even just community outreach, um, they find straight away the relatability it's so important to have the relatability because they understand that you understand what they're going through. But on top of that, it's like, okay, you've walked through this journey and you've come out at the other, at the other end. So I believe that if I'm going through a journey, I can come out at the other end. There's a saying that says, if you're going through hell, keep walking because why would you want to stay in hell? And there's a lot of things that I do say to them. It's like, if you're not in a situation that you're, you want to be in, don't stop there because you're going to be stuck in that situation forever. And with a lot of them, I encourage them saying by 
there was six days ago, six weeks ago, six months ago, even six, it could be six years ago, you're going through a situation that you didn't think you could ever get through, but you're here now mm. and you're, you're seeing better days. So when you're, you speak to them and you kind of give them a little understanding of maybe there is something going on, but we can put stuff in place to make sure that you overcome it, that's when they think, all right, cool, this person knows their stuff. They actually really want to help me. At the uh, season launch of Palace for Life uh, last week, after you spoke very eloquently, you walked past Roy Hodgson and I as we were deciding to put money on you to become the first female manager of <laughs> the Premier League football club. And you just turned around and said, you'll win that bet. Basically. So what, what is it in the term, what sort of personal ambition have you got? Um, so... When people do um, turn around and ask me kind of what my ambitions are, and I do speak to um, Ed Warner about this, we've had a good discussion saying that eventually... Ed's the chairman of the... Yeah, Ed is the, um, the chairman of the, the foundation. Yeah, one yeah. of our trustees. And we do have um, a conversation saying that I'm due to be um, the CEO of the Palace for Life Foundation. <laughs> so that's what, I, uh, that's what I aspire to do. So um, I want to be a real-life example of someone that has actually started from the absolute bottom as a participant and um, work their way all the way up to the highest position that you could have in the foundation. It might not be in the next two years. It might not be in the next four years. It might be in the next 10 years, but that's what I aspire to do. Do you look back on your 16-year-old self and are you amazed to hear you saying things like that now? Oh, I don't even know the 16-year-old me. I don't even know. She doesn't exist anymore. Um, There's a lot of people that I do bump into, like even at the launch. um, I used to play for the Crystal Palace women's team back when I was younger. And the chairman, who now we have a partnership with him, um, he was saying, wow... I, I didn't even recognise the person that you were. I said, yeah, I, I don't even wow. recognise myself anymore because the progression, like, they actually had to... We, even when I was going to play, it was like, oh, we don't know what angel's going to be walking through these gates. We don't know who we're going to get. I was very unpredictable. You didn't know what you was going to have. You didn't know if I was going to be in a good mood, bad mood, if I was going to react to anything you say in a positive way or if I was just going to give you back chat. A lot of the time, again... Um, lateness it wasn't because um especially with training it wasn't because I didn't want to be there it was just because my mind wasn't there if that makes sense I was there physically but mentally I I didn't have all my ducks in a row so I didn't quite understand like I said who I was as a person and speaking to him even someone that was like kind of uh, a throwback so a flash from the past even when he was speaking it was like wow I've actually come such a long way and I don't recognize the person that people refer to anymore well well, we're, we're talking to you and as a part of the final push to get people to sign up for the, the Marathon March. Yes. Uh, now, you won the Marathon March the first two times we did it. Now, I, I have to say, <laughs> Angel, I didn't even know it was a race because if I did, you'd have had a bit more competition up <laughs> I can't I can't finish that sentence with a straight face. Did you, and so did you, did you set out to win these things or are you just naturally a winner? Well... I'm naturally a winner, but <laughs> <laughs> I do have a very competitive streak. Really? So um, it's all or nothing, like everything in life, like with my job, like with um, friendships or anything that I do, I'm 100% or nothing at all. So um, with the Marathon March, we currently do have 121 people signed up so far. Um, if you do wish to sign up to take part, you can sign up at uh, org. She's doing my job now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not enough that you're doing Ed Warner's job in two years. You're doing my job now. 
And tell me, tell me about your strict training regime for your two winning your two winning years of the marathon march. Um, the secret is nothing. <laughs> I actually secret is a hangover. You yeah, said the before secret. Then. Well, so yeah, funny story. The first one was uh, turning up with a hangover. The mm-hmm. second one was turning up late and actually um, having to <laughs> claw my way to even <laughs> catch up with everyone. So when I got to the stadium, there was already. Um, I would say about 10 minutes up the road. <laughs> so I actually had to claw my way back into um, what I would see as a competition. You know, all those people would refer to it as a friendly march. But, yeah. <laughs> well, a, a little bird told me it was worth it just to see the look on Steve Parrish's face when you sailed past him. Oh. Are you sure it's not necessarily a good idea to sail past the chairman, <laughs> <laughs> waving at him as you go? <laughs> well, he we have we had a running joke from um, from the first year. Although he didn't join us um, through the marathon, he did say he um, he was going to join us for the second year, and he did stick to his he word. Did. He is a man of his word, and um, the whole day he was saying, all "Right, Angel, I'm going to be up the front with you. <laughs> I'm going to keep up with you." I said, "Yeah, all right, Steve. <laughs> I'll see you at the finish line." <laughs> and uh, when he did see us at the finish line, eventually, uh, he had a whole load of excuses. And Mark Bright himself also had a load of excuses. Well, you, well yeah, Mark Bright had about eight operations on his knees, so he probably has got some excuses. Yeah. Steve's got no excuses. He's got all the gear as well, and he's got all the tracksuits and the fancy stuff. Absolutely. He looks the part. Yeah, but we'll leave, the, the, we'll leave, we'll leave yeah. the butt there. <laughs> just one last thing, though. Just, just, I don't think there's any point in me taking part in this interview anymore, because you're... Uh, doing a fantastic job so can you just tell our listeners why it's important either to take part or if they can't just to donate as much money as they can to the to the palace for life so even if you can't take part of such an amazing day please 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 i would encourage you to um donate the reason for this is last year we actually raised over one hundred thousand pounds yeah now that money goes into all the different programs that we do um, fund across the whole of the foundation but the reason why it's more important this year is because all the funds that are raised are going towards our teammate program teammates program which helps um, our mental health program so our coaches are able to go within primary schools and help the young people to build their self-esteem their confidence their emotional resilience and also hopefully reduce the chances of them developing mental health problems later on in life. So it's really important because statistically it is shown that one in 10 children at primary school are struggling with their mental health. So this is why, if not this year, is one of the most important years, if not from all the other years, it is really, really important for those to be donating. But if you do want to get involved, everyone is diverse, so anyone of all ages, all sizes. Last year, we had a wheelchair user yeah. who actually joined us. So there, I personally believe there is no excuses. If people want to come with fitness levels, it completely doesn't matter. Like people would say, it's not a race in my eyes, it is. <laughs> but it isn't a race. So if you do want to take part, but don't want to do the full 26.2 miles, you do have an option to do just 10 miles. If you want to do a little bit more than just the 10 miles, then you can do 13 miles, which is kind of roughly half of the amount. So you can join us for lunch and then 
follow for the second half or you could do the first half whichever you'd prefer but also if you're up for the challenge then you could obviously do the 26.2 miles well angel it's been a pleasure talking to you i will see you at the finishing line i'll see you at the finishing line <laughs> <laughs> probably about two hours after you got there because last year i was beaten by a bloke walking his dog oh dear which i'm afraid to say is a true story <laughs> <laughs> well don't worry i'll be there with a drink waiting for you thank you angel <laughs> no worries thank you that was the wonderful angel's uh well, one of her ambitions is she's, she wants to be chair of governors, uh, chair of the trustees of the foundation. That will happen. Good. But she also wants to be the first uh, woman Premier League manager, preferably at Palace. And I definitely wouldn't put money against her doing that. She's wow, absolutely amazing. quite remarkable. Um, we're going to have another short break. It's, it's your podcast. You can be as, be as long or short as you want. <laughs> you can turn us off for five minutes. You can you come back in five seconds, whatever. It's not live, is it? And we'll be back with some of your questions. Not all of them, because most of them are not broadcastable. Welcome back to part four of the podcast, pod number 299. Ooh. We're going to get through a couple of your questions. We're going to lose Jesse in just a moment because he's got to do another media commitment. A real job. Um, yeah, basically, <laughs> which is, uh, I believe, standing in for Norwich's manager. In a... <laughs> <laughs> boom, boom. He looks so like him, though. Oh, he's no, he's, he's no, the crazy. second most handsome Premier League manager, and Jesse's the spitting image of him. Who's the first? Probably Jürgen, isn't it? <laughs> Probably, yeah. Or maybe Pep. Pep's quite grumpy. Oh, yeah, Pep, Pep's looking a bit grumpy. Anyway, so you've anyway. got to go, Jesse, so I should be getting to questions. Um, first question we have is from uh, James, uh, James, who's at Sit Down Gym. Uh, basically, his question is for JD, mm. has your life turned a corner? <laughs> <laughs> so I hope JD's listened to this. I'm sure it has. Um, as a question I, I really like from uh, at Black Eagle Athlete, Who's, and it's it's germane to what we've been talking about, but he says there seems to be a lot of Palace player fans who are willing to risk relegation for a more expansive type of football. And shouldn't we accept what we've got, which is Premier League status? We're not the most exciting team to watch, but we're effective. We're doing a job. Are we are we setting ourselves too much? Are we wanting too much? Are we in danger of becoming Charlton fans? What do you, in, in just what in sense, sense just we, in sense his point is that if we start playing the sort of football that we're crying that, out that for that we all want that we all want then we'll get relegated that we'll, we'll be less effective it's, it's, delusions it's of grandeur type thing. that's that mm. sort of thing yeah um, I think I think about clubs like Burnley I think their wages are less than ours yet they seem to make great signings um, and over the last few years since we've been in the Premier League they seem to be making really astute kind of signings and they seem to, they've scored a bucket load of goals compared to us Mm. Um, and you, it's, hard, it's hard to accept that teams like Burnley are maybe a little further ahead than us and I think we've been in the Premier League maybe a year or two longer than them yeah, yeah they went out again didn't they yeah. came back right. and Bournemouth as well I think well, they've got a lot of money I know but I think it's just it's, I don't think we expect too much more than what we're getting in terms of league position maybe a couple of more steps maybe higher but I think this is such a slog to get there, isn't it? I just, I just think, I think we'd accept a little bit more sort of depth of squad, you know, and just look, look at the bench, be happy. We'd, I think we'd accept if we had a, a Ford who could score double figures. <laughs> you know, I think it's, it, they're all very simple things. I don't think it's a lot to expect, and I think, I don't think we could play the sort of football that. Uh, whoever answered the question is probably asking anyway. We don't. We just. We we, we actually don't have the players mm. to, to to play that type of football. I think we. 
we're sort of playing within our means, really, which is why it's so frustrating because our means are not that good. We've moment. got a question from Nathan Jones. Hi, Nathan. Um, Hi, Nathan. Nathan is part of our WhatsApp club. Oh, he's on the Jason Punching tier. Five dollars a month. Wow, it's true. Premium. Um, I think this is another interesting question. Is Wolf trying to do too much? He's been caught on the ball twice this season, which has resulted in late goals. He he did. If, if, if there was a plan we had in the first half and it was hard to discern one, it did seem to involve Wilf looking for the ball all over the pitch and then trying to do something himself. It's, it's almost like he'd listened to the criticism. He of, did seem slightly more up for it in that yeah, first half. He, he did. did seem he did have the intent of going forward and beating players. He did. He wasn't drifting as much as he has yeah. done in the previous games. But he's got he's got no support around him really. He was tracking back to help Wardy as well. Yeah, he was uh, just before the goal was scored. Yeah. I think that's the big problem, James. Is when we saw Wilf being really effective, at the end of the end of both the last two seasons, mm. Wilf was really effective because he had that first season Loftus Cheek and, and yes. Van Arnholt around him in a triangle. End of last season, he had he had players around. See, Wilf, he's always been part of a three or four man unit. That's yeah. why he's been effective. Yeah, and it seems to be that happens in the second part of a season when we're relatively secure and maybe a bit more mm. relaxed. Yeah, but at the moment he looks. He looks te- He looks like he's trying to do too much. And as you say, with no real midfield support. But he hasn't no, got any no... support. You know, he's by far and away our most exciting and he's by far and away our best player. And he just doesn't seem to have that support. And yes, I think he's probably listening to the criticism. He's probably realising himself, if, if he really does want to go in January or even next summer, he's got to book his ideas up. And so he's he is trying. But there's just nothing around him to help him. And, I've, you know, it's, it's difficult. And he gets frustrated so quickly. Mm. He gets frustrated so quickly, but but you know what? He's got play. He, he got that dude sent off on Sunday, and he and he worked him to get him sent off. You yeah. know, I mean, he did, and he's very good at that. But as somebody said earlier on in the previous part, maybe maybe we shouldn't be getting players sent off anyway because we never seem to help. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it doesn't a, help us. A question from Liam about the other end of the pitch. Hello, okay. Liam. Hi, Liam. Um, where do you rank greater? Because I think that save in the first half. Oh, it was incredible. Well, class wasn't it? It was unbelievable. I was right behind. I was just to the. I was just to the right of the, of, of the goal. If you're looking, yeah, just behind it, and it just looked from where I was. It looked like it was going in, and the way he knocked it over was incredible. I think he's. You know, he's. He seems to be doing all right. He hasn't. He hasn't made too many howlers, has he at all? You know, and I'm. I've, he does sort of. I wouldn't say fills with confidence, but I don't feel unconfident with him behind the. You know, in, in, in front of the goal at all. He looks like, again, this was a point Andy Street used to love making, he does look like the keeper who has got those saves in, in a match saving yes. yeah. attempt, whereas Hennessy probably never did. No. Really, I, I can't see Hennessy making that save. I can't see that, and I do think if that if that had gone in, then I don't think we would have won the game. I think they'd have gone and got a second, you know. There's a couple of questions here. Lucy. Uh, Hi, Lucy. Chris. Hi, Chris. Uh, uh, Battle Johnny. Battle Johnny. About two, mainly about Gary Cahill. All right, okay. Is he a captain in waiting? Yeah, yes, without a doubt. I I thought he was exceptional on Sunday. I think he was one of the real bright sparks of the whole performance. I just think he's just he's so assured. He's just the way he's constantly talking to the defence. Yeah. He's talking to everybody. There was one bit. And he's there's one bit uh, when. Kaiser had the ball and he was going to roll it out, but decided not to kick it. And you look to Kay and he's just shouting at shouting at the guys. He goes, "Move up, move up!" He's shouting at 
Patrick Van Arnold, he's shouting at Ward, he's just move it, move it. He's constantly controlling the defence. And, you know, you, you need... And that will hopefully spread straight forward. Mm. I, I, I think he's... Um, He's a valuable asset to the squad, without a doubt. It does come back to that point we made in the first half, though, the first part, that with a back four that experience, they shouldn't be conceding that goal. And um, Well, very true. The yeah. point that Chris made, or I mentioned Chris, 888C, was anyone else 30 seconds away from giving Wardy man of the match? He had a blinder till that blunder. Well, yeah, I was... Yes, I mean, exactly. I mean, this is what I was saying earlier on. You know, if... If the whistle had gone 15 seconds, seconds before it, it did, yeah. we would be in a different pod. Yeah. The atmosphere moved. But that's that's football. That's the reason why we go. It's the reason why we love it. It's entertainment. Mm. And it's just things can change within a minute. Wardy did have quite a good game. You know, he did have quite a good game. You know, And it was, I don't think the whole performance was terrible. I'm actually being quite positive now. <laughs> we actually got a point. As we, Oscar Wilde is the mark of a gentleman to hold two contradictory opinions in the same <laughs> sentence. It's fine. Thank you. Um, <laughs> the first you know, half was dire. That was it was poor. dire. I mean, it that's... was dire, but we never looked in trouble. We didn't look like no, imposing ourselves on the game, but we never yeah, looked in trouble. No we never looked in trouble, but we didn't. You know, we just lacked that cutting edge in the, the final third. You know, against Wolves, who had a great season last year. I know they're not doing well, that well this season, but they were a team. They, you know, but Kev, put it this way: I was talking to people before kickoff, and was, was two or three of us were chatting. He said, "We all said, what do you expect today?" We all said, "I'd be happy with the point." Well, that's a, that's a fair. I mean, I think if you'd said before the first six games, if somebody had said to you, "You've got Everton, you've got Man United, you've got Tottenham," mm. I'll offer you eight points now. We'd have all gone, yeah, yeah, "Thank yeah, you very absolutely, much." Absolutely, yeah. And I think a lot of people, uh, certainly on last week's pod, and under response to last week's pod, a lot of people were saying, "Let's get four points from Wolves and Norwich, mm. and then reassess." But we'll be in a good situation. So, I think we, I think it's just the circumstances of the goal. I, that, I think it's the circumstances of the goal, and it's and it, you know, it, it was horrible, Kevin. And horrible. it's the fact that Wardy was a good story he's caught, you know, he had mm. criticism all season he'd scored the goal yeah. we were going to win despite Benteke and then it yeah. just but I think we we dodged a bullet against Villa as well to be fair well, so absolutely we did yeah. so that's the other frustration is that yeah. we got into the situation mm. yeah, we should be able to see out those we should be I mean we there is, we should not have played the way we did in the final five minutes yeah. we, we, we should have held on to that ball we should have been we should have been experienced about it we should have gone down we should have fallen over we should have been a bit little, yeah, just aggy in the street in, yeah, yeah. In, in the way that other teams are to, with to us, us exactly. and we get really frustrated yeah. but then walk away you know? um, many apologies if we didn't get around to uh, your questions um, we had so many um, but we do appreciate them all I will finish with one rhetorical question from Patrick Stevens. Hello, Patrick. Mm-hmm. It, it's a question for Jim. First, he says, first of all, very many congratulations. Can the new baby play up front? <laughs> <laughs> Give it time. I mean, Give it time. Sure well, yeah. uh, join us again uh, in part five for a brief preview of the Norwich game coming up on Saturday. <laughs> Welcome back to part five of the FYP podcast. Part five? It's astonishing. I don't think we've had a part five before. Oh, well, this, and, uh, well, there's just us two in the bunker. It's amazing. And that's, that's, it. How, that's how it feels now. It feels like I, a really empty building now. There's like nobody else around, just you and me. But maybe we'll do a part six and seven as well while yeah, we're at well, it, we're at it yes, yeah, I mean, we're it's in, raining outside. Yeah, we're, well in the, we're in Soho Studio. Oh, no, I love the rain. I've been waiting for the rain for three months. I'm not wasting that. Here we go. If it was sunny, I'd be here staying down here. Yeah, we are in uh, the studios of Soho, the basement studios of Soho Radio, where yeah. James Endicott's just finished 
finished his morning show. I have, yes. And it always, was fun, a, yeah. So your your shows always are. I, would, I don't know if you've ever done a plug for your show on Soho Radio. I don't but... know. It's on Soho Radio uh, Monday to Friday yeah. from ten a.m. until midday. Uh, that's SohoRadioLondon.com. Yeah. Um, what well, happened? And it's uh, called Morning Glory. Yeah. Keep it gripped. <laughs> <laughs> And you can read The Athletic while you're listening to Morning Glory. You can read Glory. The Athletic as well. And if you, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's only £5 a month, apparently. Yeah. We've certainly, uh, or dollars, sorry, I don't sorry, know. Sorry, £2.50. £2.50, yeah. It's the, something to do with Jason Punch and it's $5. Let's not, let's not get into a bit. Anyway, it's Norwich. Clear, they're clearly going to be So, Norwich. So, yes, yeah, so, uh, Norwich Saturday. coming up. We've, we've, we've talked about it. It's, again, Norwich are a team that have conceded, I think, in every game they've played, certainly yeah. in the Premier League. Even in the championship, when they got promoted, they conceded in most games. So we would be looking to score. It might be my theory is that they could be a team that play right into our hands because they will, I think, come to Sellers Park thinking they can beat us. They will definitely come thinking they can beat us because yeah. they know it's not Fortress Sellhurst. Yeah, they know we've only scored a couple of goals. We've had three games at home. Yeah, we haven't lost, but we've not looked that yep. threatening really. Uh, they know that we're lacking up front and that we are prone to defensive errors. And you know, and. For, for all the talk I've been going on about the experience at the back with um, Cahill, there is, you know, we are prone to Wardy messing up on yeah. PVA. Sacco, obviously, I've always got a bit of bee in my bonnet about Sacco because he's always going to do fit, a howl. Is he? And he's not clearly fit. not fit. He's clearly not fit. So, you know, they will come with their tails, you know, high or whatever the expression is. I completely don't know what that expression is, but I kind of made it up. And I think they'll come ready uh, and then, but saying that I actually think we'll get three points Yeah, I've, I really do actually. I hate I'm saying it out loud but I've got I've got a feeling they are a team that will, will actually be, be suited to our style but yeah. they've got a bit of flair a bit of joie de vivre mm. they will they will go for it with their tails up as you say mm. I think they'll they probably get fed up with being patronised the way we used to but they are a team that you keep an eye on because they're a pleasure to watch yeah, they are. play football but that means they will probably lose more games than they win. And the other frustration with them, of course, is that it comes back to something we've talked about long and hard. They have found some players from straight. They've looked under rocks in strange I know, places I know, I know. and got people like. It's Pookie. the constant frustration, isn't it? Yeah, you know, they found players in lower leagues. They found players abroad that, that nobody else seemed to be even looking for. Mm. And I, I was so wrong about Puki. I predicted last year I said he won't score goals in the Premier League. <laughs> And he's at the moment he's doing, and it, it might be that situation where it might dry people, up, but, dry so. up but, you know. but you know he he's going to score more goals this season than Benteke well, <laughs> already. You already, know, it's, yes, it's going to yeah. happen. So, oh, you but it, I, you know, they are a very they've got one way of playing, yeah. and and that's the way they play. And and you know, there's been a lot of talk about they should be adapting to the Premier League, and maybe they shouldn't be doing this. But so what? You know, I'm not being condescending or patronising when I say. Have a good time, you know, because mm. you know I, I I like to see clubs like Norwich in the Premier League. I think it's important to have those medium level clubs, you know, in terms of finance, everything in the Premier League. And well, also, I mean, they got they get if you look at some of their message boards sometimes and talk to their fans, they they get really cross about Newcastle, for example, mm. spinning this whole. They're the only club, the only one city club, one yeah. club city, whatever. The yeah, 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 like yeah. your dog with a tail. I don't know yeah. what I'm trying to say, yeah. now, but. <laughs> You know, Norwich, Norwich City dominates that town as much as. Oh yeah, as, absolutely. No, without a doubt, as I mean, Newcastle I've... do, and it's that's reflected in their in the passion of their fans. They're, they're good. They're very fans. good, passionate fans. Yeah. I've got two or three very good friends of mine who live live in Norwich who are, go to every game, every home game, and they're great people. And you know, they are enjoying it, but at the same time, 
they will feel as though they can come to Sellers Park yeah. and get three points. They really will. So, as you say, Kev, I think that could work to our advantage. I would like to see Andros playing, actually. I would like to get... I'd, I'd like to... As Jesse was saying earlier, I think one of the things we're missing are those crosses coming in. I would like to see Andros, because I think Andros has had a, a bit of a break. I could think he'd come on and go, right, I'm going to show you a lot. I, I think... I, I couldn't agree more. I, I think... I, I like Schlupp, but I don't see how he gets in the head no. of... Because you know, it's not it's not a system, Joe. We don't seem to play recognisably in a different shape or, or pattern. Mm. And for me, Andros is a is just a better player. I and also think the, the way we it's a very obvious thing we do at Palace is you've got Wilf and Andros, and they switch up. They're always you. switching, and that you know, however obvious it is to us, and, and it will be to the opposition, it still confuses them. Yeah. And it still gets them. Oh my God, I've got Wilf now. I've got Andros. Yeah. Who, who am I marking? And I just think, I think. Because they're going to come with such expectations, they'll be very, very forward-thinking. I think we just counter at them mm. by being as forward-thinking, and if not, if not more so. And to finish on a positive note, if we do get three points from them, it will have been a really good start. It's amazing. We'll have 11 points, yeah. won't we? And we'll be probably seventh or eighth. Yeah, and we'll I mean, all be thinking, this is the best league in the world and we're <laughs> great to be in it. And we're on a European tour. <laughs> Hooray! <laughs> so on that final note, is uh, as before... James gets taken away and leaves me entirely on my own <laughs> speaking to 15,000 of you down the atmosphere. Uh, thank you all for listening. Thank yeah, you all thank for you. your questions. Again, um, apologies if we didn't read yours out. And hello to Maria. Yes, hello Maria. Welcome to the world. And uh, we'll see you next week for Pod 300. With a special guest. Yes. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Podcast Network.